Hey, morning, Summit. You guys doing all right? Nice. Hey, uh, it is an extreme privilege to be with you um, and to hang out here today. My name is Nigel, uh, like Gary said, and um, I'm from Norfolk, Virginia, uh, wife and two kids up yonder. And I came down here on Friday. I came out here Friday, uh, one, because my wife signed my permission slip and let me leave early. And, and two, because I just wanted to kind of just soak in being here and rest and came down here just to be with you guys because Gary and I have been hanging out for years and we just decided last year to make something happen. So thanks for letting me be with you. Um, I never take it as something that's supposed to happen. I get to serve my church back home regularly. I preach once a month. I'm on the teaching team back home. Uh, and every single time I get to stand in front of God's people, it's like an extreme like privilege. Like, really, God, one more time? You're going to let me do this again? So this is always the first time to me. And uh, I just appreciate you letting me be here. Sorry about that. It's all stuck in the beard. Um, and uh, as Gary said, I, I go by legend, uh, not legion. He did call me a demon at first service. And I, I have not forgiven him yet. I'll, I'll wait till after this service. But... Um, the reason I go by legend is because it's simply Nigel spelled backwards. And the whole idea is that God took my life and flipped it around. And she, ooh, that, she's like, ooh, branding. And um, for me, it's, uh, I like you. She laughs at all my jokes. It's going to be fun service. So, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yes, front row every service. And um, the blessing of that is that that whole point for me, the, the whole flipping of the life around, uh, started with me having to wrestle through forgiveness in my own life. I'm, I'm going to do this in the context of just telling you my story of what I had to walk through in forgiving my father for the ultimate sin in my life that he committed against me and how that led me to the foot of the cross to find out what Jesus did for me. Um, learning to forgive and learning that I needed forgiveness. And my hope is uh, that, uh, you know, the word forgiveness, we get it. Like, if you go to church, you know that's, that's part of the deal. But uh, my hope is that maybe by the time we leave, the Holy Spirit will reveal in each one of us what the next step in our imperfect journey towards forgiveness is, what it, where, where the limits are in our life, because I think we're constantly um, trying to figure out, uh, there's, there's a level of, yeah, God, I forgive up to this point, but not this person, or not them over there, or not what they did to me. And we have a safe space as far as what we acknowledge it. I know I do. I know I've still got levels that I'm asking God to break. Um, but I think the goal is to be in the trajectory of Jesus and not living in a paradigm of unforgiveness, but maybe living in a, par- a reconciled paradigm where that's the way we're going. So Jesus, he, uh, he looks at this situation and he's, he's talking to some, some guys and he says this, hey, listen, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Those are very strong words from Jesus. Jesus said a lot of stuff that people don't like to put on Christmas cards. Like, they only pick the nice things, but Jesus said some other things. Like, that's not going to sell a shirt, bro. Don't do that, right? Um, This is one of them. Like, if you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. And so there's that piece of it, too. Grace is one of the hardest doctrines to understand that everything's been given to you and there's nothing you can do to earn it. But if you read this out of context, you can take it and say, well... If I forgive, then am I earning God's forgiveness? And I don't think that's what he's saying, but I want to dig into that a bit as we jump into the Lord's Prayer and continue this Undone series. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful um, that we woke up once more. We rolled out of bed. We're breathing your air with lungs you built for us. Um, And sometimes we just wake up and get rolling, and we want to pause and say thank you for another day of life today. Thank you for not only the privilege to exist, but the privilege to have life Uh, to have you and to know and operate in the paradigm you created us to live in. 
You made life. You have the, you, you created the manual for this thing so you know how it's supposed to operate. And I want to thank you for letting us be a part of that today. Before we leave, please fulfill your greatest commandment in us a little bit, that we would look more like you, uh, that we love you a little more and love each other a little more before we leave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, stories like this. I, I was born in Kansas City, Missouri, um, to uh, a happy household. My mother and father had been married for 10 years. And around the time I popped up on the scene, my father lost both of his parents in close proximity and his first child's on the way, me. Uh, and unfortunately, to cope with all of those things, he turned to a little dependence on alcohol, which spilled over into alcoholism. And then he tampered into some drugs, which turned into a drug addiction. And then after I'm born, five years later, and th after three failed rehab attempts, my mom has to make the impossible decision of do I save my son or do I save my marriage? And my brave mother chose to save her son, me, she's my hero now, and moved back to Virginia Beach, Virginia, where she's from, where I was then raised. My dad moved back to D.C., three and a half hours away, where I did not see him for the next 15 years of my life. And he wrestled through addictions and all those things and stuff that comes with that. Um, and in that, uh, at a certain point, you know, the childhood dreams of, well, maybe daddy will pop back up one day. I remember, uh, the, I remember being five, and we were walking into the house, and my grandmother getting down and say, how would you like to live with grandma? And I remember the, me not knowing what's happening, like, my first response was, great, when's daddy coming? And, and I still could see her face like, I don't know what to say at this moment. But you hold on to that childhood, whatever, until one day, around 12 or so, my dad calls. My mom wouldn't let me normally speak to him because he would call drunk or something. She would never badmouth him, but she would protect me. So one day he convinced her to get through, and he spoke to me, and he told me this, son, I bought this car, cherry red Mustang. I'm picking you up on this date. I'm going to make up for lost time. Packed my bags, waited by the door for days. And mom didn't have the heart to tell me your father lied to you, but I don't, I don't know that position where she doesn't want to speak bad, but she's just kind of letting me see it for myself. And I remember picking up the bags and walking away from that, realizing what had happened, and I could remember feeling the bitterness come and shattering all the childhood dreams. And now it's like, all right, well, that's who you are. All right, forget it. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not important enough. And so the anger starts. How do you forgive a man for doing that to you? How do you let that go? I don't have the strength to do it. But, you know... Jesus talks to another group of guys who didn't have the strength to understand this, too. He's talking to his 12 disciples, this ragamuffin group of 12 unqualified guys, not scholarly, uh, uh, you know, raised culturally in these things, but not really running after it. One or two chasing after John, but the rest of them businessmen and tax collectors and figuring life out. And they've been with Jesus. They've been with this guy who they're, who is he? He's a little more than a prophet, but we're not sure. They're seeing him heal the blind eyes and do all these things. And so questions pop up. Right? And if I was them, I'd have questions for them. Like, so, so you put mud on somebody's eyes, and then you wipe it off. And that's the trick. So if I just get mud on somebody's face, I can do it too? Do I need to wiggle my fingers? Like, what's the, what's the miracle trick here? Like, how do I do this? Um, they didn't ask that. Then I didn't see them asking those type of questions. But they did ask, like, a one-on-one, step-one question, in, uh, you know, a little bit into this three-year journey. And they said, hey, Jesus, we see the miracles and stuff, but I have another question for you. Would you teach us how to pray? My thought is you ask this on day two, not a year into it, right? And, and Jesus, who sometimes answered in parables, sometimes answered clearly, answered this extremely clear. He's like, oh, this you need to know. 
And he says in Matthew 6, pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others, our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The prayer is so poignant. There's so much into it. He's got these six parts. Father, he's holy and separated. It's his kingdom. Provide for us daily bread. Forgive as we forgive. Protect us from temptation. He's got all these points going on. But I want to focus on this forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven others. Why is that so important? Why does Jesus say, if you don't do this, you're not forgiven? There would be a whole bunch of things I would think that God would set up in his metric to, to say you're in or out of the kingdom. This, this is something that he made. He repeated it over and over again. Very simple point is that forgiveness, forgiveness is why Jesus came to earth in the first place. Forgiveness is why he came. Forgiveness was important enough for Jesus to leave eternity. If we believe he is who he says he is, who the scriptures portray him as, and who the people who walk with him saw him to be, he existed before time existed with angels around, bowing at his feet. And he said, I'm going to leave this to go down to the people I created who don't recognize me and who don't even know who I am and who aren't going to be appreciative for what I'm going to do because it's important enough that I pay this debt to give them the option to receive it, and then to do it. That's how important forgiveness is. I'm going to leave eternity to fix this. Jesus in Mark 1 gives his mission statement when he comes back from the wilderness, 40 days of fasting, and he says, uh, this is why I'm here, guys. The time has come. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent, turn from all these things that are not the kingdom of God, and turn to everything that is the kingdom of God. Turn from all these things that are not me and turn to everything that is. And this is what the next three and a half years of my life is going to be about. But turn from what, though? When Jesus gives that forgiveness part of the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our debts in the present tense. Forgive us currently what we're doing. Forgive us for our current thoughts. Forgive us our current bitterness, the current things we're holding on to, our current sins against you, God. This is indicative. You're already in relationship with God, but on a regular basis when you pray, you need to go to him and say, forgive us for today. A debt is when you owe someone something. You guys are doing financial peace. You're all Dave Ramsey'd up. You understand the debt thing, right? So, <laughs> right, you get it? Um, a debt is uh, when you owe something in this life, you will sin. You're going to sin. Uh, any sinners in the room, raise your hand. Right? Everybody shout up. Somebody's back there with both of these. Put a foot up. <laughs> right? Uh, you're going to do it. It's just going to happen. You're going to do it pre-cross. You're going to do it post-cross. I don't care if you're in this room and you're an atheist or you're the most scholarly person amongst us biblically. Everybody in here is going to fail at living a perfect life. It's just how it is. We understand that without the gospel. It's just a reality of our broken situation. But because of that, we all live and we start in a separated paradigm from God because this can't exist in his presence. He won't allow it. He can't have it. So we start that with the understanding that there's something to be made right. And in society, if I break a law, I have a debt to pay for that society. I have to pay for that crime. I don't care if it's restitution, it's money, time in jail, whatever it is. When I break the crimes of the laws of heaven, how then do I pay that back? Do, do I have enough time in my temporary life, enough money in my bank account, enough, enough restitution I can make before a perfect God to make things right? When I'm standing in front of a judge, a human judge, he's just as flawed and broken as I am. He just hasn't done the debt I've done. When I stand in front of a holy God, there is no comparison. How do I make that right? 
people say uh, when they're looking at Scripture or making cases against God or the New Testament and Jesus, they say, hey, look, I like the, I like the Jesus guy. Like the New Testament dudes, he's all full of love and he's nice and there's unicorns and happy things. Um, the Old Testament guy was kind of mean and wrathful and fire and brimstone. I come from Pentecostal church, a whole lot of fire and brimstone, by the way. Um, sometimes it's fun. But so you got this Old Testament guy where, look, there's stones happening and the ground swallowing people up. We don't, we don't like that one. I like the new guy. And the funny thing is, if you read across all 66 books, one of the reasons I believe the scriptures so much is because they paint a continuous picture over many different authors, over thousands of years of writing. It, it mathematically should not continue with the same story. And it does. And the character of God in the Old Testament is the same as the character of God in the New. Jesus actually made the laws of the Old Testament harder because he made them a heart issue and not an external action issue. Example, in the law it says, hey, don't commit adultery. If you do, you're going to get stoned to death. The wages of sin are death. Jesus in the New Testament says, hey, if you even look with lust, you've already committed adultery. Like, it's not even you did it. You thought about it in your heart. The only one that knows that is you and God, and you're still just as guilty. Problem is, the wages are the same. I'm just going to step in and take it for you. So Jesus makes the law harder, but he also makes the solution more eternally prevalent. So when we see that, it's like, you're really stepping in to make this happen for me. And Jesus is like, it's all in the context of relationship. Because when you look at these Ten Commandments, these 613 laws of the, of, the, uh, of the Mosaic Covenant, when you look at all these things, you can't fill them all. In our self-help culture, that's tough to deal with. I want to have the power to fix my malady, and I don't have that strength. And Jesus says, look at the, look at the layout of the cross. The first four laws are relationship between you and God, the vertical, and the last six are between you and each other, the horizontal. The cross was already foreshadowed in the law anyway. The Bible says the law was a school teacher to lead us to Christ, to let us know this is God's holiness, and here's where we are, and we can't bridge the gap unless he does it for us, and that's Christ. So we want to have these different metrics for what's right and wrong and what's good and evil, and Jesus steps in and says, I'm the metric, and there's nothing you can do without me. So he steps in, and he says, let me pay this penalty that you can't pay for the crimes you've committed. And he's even doing it in a sense where he knows we're not going to get it. We're not going to fully get this forgiveness thing or this grace thing. I mean, he literally told his disciples, I got a whole lot more to tell you, but you can't handle it now. And they walked with him for three years. How much more grace does he give us, right? Jesus is on the cross paying the penalty uh, uh, for us to be, uh, receive the forgiveness and the reconciliation. He's laying on, he's on the cross, he's stretched out, suffering from asphyxiation and all these painful things we can't even imagine. And he looks down at the very people that put him there. And then he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He begs for their forgiveness while he's paying for it. That is mind-blowing to me. I don't understand that level of grace. I would like to. I'm trying. John Piper puts it this way. Forgiveness is the release of a perceived debt owed me. Forgiveness is the release of a perceived debt owed me. You do me wrong, you owe me an apology. You need to make it right. Until you do, I'm holding on to this. But forgiveness is, you know what, man, whether you make it right or not, I'm done. I love you. I'm letting it go. There's no payment. That doesn't make sense. You need to, you need to fix this. Forgiveness is, I'm letting the debt go. If you never fix it, you're forgiven on my end. I don't know how you can do that. At the age of 20, uh, my dad wrote me a letter 
on yellow legal pads. I still can see it in my head. And uh, he says, hey, son, I need to see you. I need to apologize for the past. Will you see me? I said, yeah. So I met him at a, a restaurant in, on the Virginia Beach Strip called Mahi Ma's. Really good fish. Uh, like Gary said, food thing. And um, so we're there, and I meet my aunt and my, uh, my cousin, who I never met before. It's like, hey, I'm your Aunt Denise. I'm your cousin Tiffany. Uh, there's your dad out there with the jean jacket on facing the water. Go see him. My whole plan for this meeting was to tap him on the shoulder, and when he turns around, punch him in the face as hard as possible. And walk. <laughs> Can you travel with me? Like, I just need you wherever I go. Um, no, <laughs> sorry. She's got a calling. She needs to leave now. We got to go. Come with me. But uh, that was my whole goal was like, this is, my, this is my chance to pay him back. And my metric of good and evil, he deserves this. And so I tapped him on the shoulder, uh, and he turned around. And I'm not walking, mind you, I'm not walking with Jesus at this time. I left church. I'm good. I'm going to do it on my own kind of thing. And he turns around, and I catch a glimpse of the whites of his eye. And when, when, that, when I saw this corner, it was kind of like stoplight yellow, traffic stop, that, that little slowdown. It was so yellow and so discolored. And his 55-year-old face looks so 80s. I just couldn't wrap my mind around this. And, and in that moment, God's grace, even though I wasn't walking with Jesus, that anger and that rage turned to pity for just a minute. And I just had to step back and say, man, you blew it, bro. Like You really messed it up. You had a wife who loved you. You had a son who adored you. You had all these professional opportunities. You had a relationship with Oprah before she was Oprah. You were on the news. You had all the... You, you threw it all away. Why? Why wasn't I important enough to fight for? Why? And it all went away. And then we had a great dinner. We had a fantastic dinner. Like, how many of you guys have an excellent mom? Like, your mom's just awesome. I show of hands. You guys are great mom. Would you say your mom's like the greatest mom in the world? Yes? He says, he says yes. Uh, so my mom's the greatest mom in the world. Yours may be number two. <laughs> just want you to know that's a scientific fact. But I love your mom's probably great. My mom is awesome. Like, I love her. That's my buddy. That's my best friend but we are not alike, like at all. This is the first time in my adult life I'd met my parent that was just like me. It was nuts. I was like, yo, he looks like me, he talks like me, he tells really bad jokes like me, he uses big words that don't fit in the sentence like me to sound smart, like this is where I get it from. It's not my fault, it's genetic, right? So, and so we had a great time. At the end of that dinner, he says, would you forgive me? And he walks out like this with his hands out for the hug. And all that rage came back. And I pushed him. Don't touch me, bro. Don't ever touch me. There's no way in the world I'm forgiving you. For the next nine months, he kept trying to call and talk. I would cuss him out and hang up because this was my chance to get him back. You're going to pay for what you did. So Jesus says, forgive us our debts. Present tense as we also have forgiven our debtors, past tense. God, forgive us daily bread. Forgive us today for all the stuff that's in my mind right now and the stuff I did yesterday. Forgive us as we also have already forgiven our debtors. The debtors, the people that have sinned against us. How many people in this room have had anybody sin against you by a show of hands? Somebody's hurt you, said something wrong, malicious. They've done wrong. Another brave question. How many of you guys have hurt somebody by a show of hands? Forgive us our debtors, right? Jesus said we should pray, God forgive us 
in the same way we've already forgiven everybody else. There's an expectation in the Lord's Prayer that if you are living, if you are living a forgiving life, if you, are, if you have received the forgiveness, that you're living a life of forgiveness for others, that you're living a forgiveness life. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to say, I am Christ's own, I am little Christ, that's what Christian means. If you're going to say that and put that name on your back, that you are living in the same grace-filled, reconciled paradigm that Jesus did when he forgave us when it didn't make any sense. He expects us to live that way. He's like, when you're coming to God asking for what you currently need, it's because you're asking for the thing that you've already given away to somebody else. And that's, 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 that's tough because I'm always working on how do I forgive better? How do I not be judgmental? How do I not have a metric for those people? Because everybody's got to those people. Our wiring is to find out who we're better than so we can justify our thinking about those people. How do I be like Jesus? Well, that line's eliminated, and I realize those people are me. And I need to be in that boat with them. If you're going to live forgiven, it's expected you live a life of forgiveness. If you're going to live forgiven, it's expected you live a life of forgiveness. I read one of those scriptures earlier. Here's another one. Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So that your Father in heaven may forgive your trespasses. He says, don't even pray. Go forgive. Get this out of your heart and then come to me. He says in the Lord's Prayer, you've all, as we've already forgiven, he's, he's expecting us to live in a reconciled paradigm of forgiveness. It is an expectation. This is one-on-one stuff. They said, teach us how to pray. He's like, all right, if you're praying in relationship with the Father, this is how you're already living. And not that it's perfect, not that when you do it, you then earn forgiveness. You've already received it, therefore you can give it. The, the implication here is that if you don't forgive others, if you don't live in a reconciled paradigm, if you don't understand the grace that you've been given to give away to others, if you don't understand forgiveness, if you don't forgive others, you don't understand the gospel. And you may not have received a real gospel in the first place. That's the challenge. If we have this metric set up that doesn't allow for that, are we believing Jesus' gospel or one we made up? It makes sense to us where I get the control of the payback and who gets forgiven and who deserves God's grace. I know I've got metrics that God's been blowing up in my life about who does and doesn't deserve God's grace. And he reveals another layer of it. I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I thought I conquered this mountain. I'm still, help me, Lord, to continue to walk forward in this paradigm. If you don't understand that Christ forgave you and me of the unforgivable, there's no way in the world I can forgive somebody else. There was a woman who came to Jesus one day, and uh, they, they, they were questioning the lavish amount of activity she was doing to show her love for Jesus. And the religious people and the lawyers were like, that's too much. Like, there's so many things you could have done and so many activities you could have checked up. Why are you sitting here pouring all this oil and wasting all this stuff? Then Jesus says, man, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. One of the things I think is important for us as believers is in order to adequately receive the good news, that good proclamation, if we're really going to, this gospel good news, really get it, get it, we have to sit, soak, and meditate in how bad the bad news actually is. And that's not a morbid beatdown thing. It makes the good news prettier when you know how bad the bad news is. The amount of forgiveness that you're able to recognize that you've received is the amount you're willing to offer. When I see how deep the chasm between me and my depravity and God's holiness was and how, how much I'd earned to be left alone and that he would jump into my boat 
and not just jump there with me, but get under it and pay my price so that I would have the option to receive his goodness. That alone, that alone should bring me to tears and reflection. And Jesus, thank you. This good news is so much better than I thought. Because if I think I've been forgiven little, I love little. It's, it's, it's easier for me to not forgive others. But when I realize how much I've been forgiven, it's easier for me to say, listen, dude, I know. I know what you did. I know how you're sitting on death row. I need you to know Jesus loves you just like he loves me. And I'm no better because I'm in this situation socioeconomically, politically. Dude, Jesus paid all of our debt. It makes it easier to love across the lines. We're about to enter this horrible, nasty political. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. It's going to be a nasty year with people on Facebook and on person. And my prayer for the church, this could be the greatest year the church ever had if we could learn to get above the fray of all those lines that divide us and just say, listen, man, I don't care who you are or where you're from. This Jesus that died, he didn't die more for you than for me. He had to die for my stuff too. My stuff was so bad, it separated me from heaven, and he paid my debt. How could I not have grace and love for you, no matter what's going on over here? You've been forgiven much, you love much. So Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven others. My father, uh, I was about six months into this getting my dad back in my own strength thing. I was loving every minute of it. I'm not going to lie and tell you it wasn't fun. It was. felt good. felt right. felt like I was getting what I deserved. finally got some get back because uh, I wanted revenge, and the Lord says vengeance is mine. I wanted it to be mine because in my heart I was God. And about six months into it, I'm um, having a conversation with some, with some guys. I had dropped out of college. I was selling insurance, and I was mentoring some guys who was do, doing insurance. I was 20. Who was I mentoring? I don't know what I was talking about. Um, <laughs> but I had on a tie, so um, I, was a, I was proficient in a polo shirt. So um, I'm talking to these guys, and I'm mentoring them on some stuff. And this lady just comes up to me, and she's like, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on. But the Lord told me to come over here and say this to you. If you don't let go of that hatred in your heart, whatever it is, you will not make it into his kingdom that way. And she walks off. I waited till she got a few feet away, and I yelled, that was rude. It's very rude. She interrupted my conversation. Um, and I wasn't with Jesus at the time, but I could see his grace in advance working on me. I knew she was right. It still took me another three months because... This isn't an automatic thing. I'm not saying that to anybody. This is a process. Uh, but I called my dad nine months later, or nine months into it, and uh, three months after that meeting. I said, hey, Dad, I, uh, I'm letting it go. I forgive you. I love you. And I want to know what it's like to have my dad in my life. I've never experienced that. I'm going to let it go. If you've ever had the chance to forgive somebody of something that they can't pay you back for, it is the most freeing thing for them and for you, maybe, that you'll ever experience. And you can literally, three and a half hours away in D.C., over the phone, you can literally feel the chains fall off of this man's shoulders. You can just feel it. It's tangible. He's like, thank you. Thank you, son. He's like, hey, hey can, can I come get a room? I'll, I'll get a hotel, and I just want to see you. I come down this weekend. I was like, hey, man, slow up. You're moving too fast. Pause, right? This, just, just don't, let's do the phone for right now. Uh, but I love you, and, and, and we're going to work this out. I didn't know that was the last time we'd ever speak. 
Right after that phone call, he passed away. My last conversation with my father in this life, literally, was I forgive you. And again, I didn't know about the sovereignty of God, and I'm going through all this, but this is, now I'm kind of shaking my fist at the heavens like, dude, if you really are there, what gives? Like, why would you go through all this? Wouldn't it have been better if you just stayed away so I didn't have to go through this trouble? Why would you do this to me? What kind of cosmic chess game are you playing? And I don't remember all the things, but I know I was wrestling through so much stuff, and I remember one night just up crying and midnight, and a prayer line comes on. I think it was 700 Club. can't remember. Called the guy, and I said, man, this can't be life. If God is good, why, dot, 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 and why this? I just, and I've, I've done so much dirt in my life, and, and then is he paying me back? Like, what's happening? I don't know what the guy said, but I know I rolled out of bed the next morning, and instead of standing on my feet, I hit my knees. And I said, man, Lord, if you are who grandma's been telling me you are for 15 years and who mom's been trying to convince me you are, if, you, if you're that, if you're really there, I give up. I've, I've bull in a china shop my life, and I've got so many broken things behind me. If you'll just take me, I don't want to live life alone anymore. I give up. In that moment when the Lord answered all that and stuff started to change on the inside, he proved to me who the Messiah is himself. I've never been the same since that morning. It's never been the same since. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. You have been forgiven when you shouldn't have been, if you know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, he stands here with arms open to forgive you at this moment for everything you've thought, said, and done, and planned to do. That is a treason against heaven. That the result is eternal separation. He stepped in the gap. You show up to court, and he says, before you take them away, take me instead. Let them go free. If they'll let me, if they'll let me make this payment for them, apply it to their account. And then you walk out, and they take him back. That's the gospel. This is what Christ did. Somebody had to pay. There is no free lunch in this. And Jesus does that for me. He does that for you. And if you receive that, you therefore have the privilege and the freedom and the expectation from heaven that you now will give that. Here's what I'm not saying forgiveness is. I'm not saying forgiveness means you must be a doormat. I'm not saying forgiveness means you must continue to let people hurt you. I've had people message me like, well, does this mean that I just let this go? I'm like, no, you call the police on them and you forgive them when they're on the way. Don't let anybody do that to you. I'm not saying you just let things go or let things happen. Somebody, I'm just going to say this. Somebody in this room may have been touched or something happened in an inappropriate way. Christian forgiveness is not not making sure that that gets taken care of. I'm saying that you being the one that commits, the, that is determining the justice, that's not on you, right? You can forgive and let go of that debt, but handle that and don't let anybody do anything like that to you. So please hear that from me. I hope that makes sense. But it is, I'm the one that controls when I forgive. No, 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 no. Jesus forgave, and therefore you, if he can sit on the cross and forgive those who just put him there, you and I can go through whatever we need to go through to trust God to help us forgive another human being who's done wrong to us. Or if we're in a place of doing something wrong to somebody or thinking poorly of somebody or have committed a sin against somebody with all the hands that went up, and we haven't repented. You and I need to go and say, listen, I wronged you. I didn't make it right. I hope you can forgive me, but if you don't, I repent still, please. The cross tells us this. 
our greatest commandment. Jesus repeats the Ten Commandments in the greatest. He says, listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He goes right back to the vertical. If you don't get this vertical right, you'll never get the horizontal right. If you claim to have the vertical right, the horizontal starts to work itself out. Not perfectly, but you're walking in a reconciled paradigm. You're in this trajectory where it's going to happen. So I have two questions for you I'd like to leave you with. One, who do you have the right to withhold forgiveness from? Who in your life do you have the right to withhold forgiveness from? I will not placate you and think that's an easy question to answer, but it is one we have to wrestle with. Is there anybody in your life that you're justified in withholding forgiveness from, according to the gospel? Two, who do you, if you've done wrong to someone, have the right to withhold repentance from? If you've offended, sinned against, even if it's justified in your mind as, well, this is okay because... Who do you have the right to withhold repentance from? Who, who do you need to reach out to and say, you know what? The way I spoke to you the other day, the way I thought of you when you said this, the way I currently think of you. I do a lot of racial reconciliation talks in my community. I help, I'm privileged with my pastor to lead a group of pastors to help them wrestle through things and, and lead the people that they lead in tough dialogues. There's a lot of competing ideas there. I'm, I'm actually, I think I'm going to go to the Herndon event tonight. I'd love to learn from what you guys are doing. There's so much brokenness there about how people are thinking about each other. If the church doesn't get that conversation right, there's no hope for anybody else getting it right. Ask the Holy Spirit if there's anyone he wants you to reconcile with. And whoever comes to mind, just trust God. This is, man, you know, that person that comes to your mind when you ask that question, oh, not them, Jesus, Right? That, ask him, how, do, how would you have me handle this? God may say, pray about it, I'll tell you later. He may say, step out and call him before lunch, whatever the situation is. I'm a, Gary, do I got two more minutes? Okay. Uh, it's second service, y'all. You just keep you here. But um, <laughs> I come from Pentecostal church. Y'all ain't going home for like another hour. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> right? Do oh, she said, we don't do that here. Nope. Nope. <laughs> She said that serious. I'm going to, two minutes. Uh, I never thought that I would have a, a healthy marriage, a healthy family. Um, I, thought, I thought that uh, the shadow I was living under had doomed mine. I met my wife in the seventh grade, right? Uh, it's not romantic. She didn't like me until the 12th grade. But <laughs> I said, you waited five years for all this? You just wasted your time? So <laughs> she hates that story. In 12th grade, uh, we started dating. And somewhere between, we got married after college, and, and I, uh, I knew by midway in that, I was like, yo, this is, the, this is, she's all I want. Like, I'm madly in love. And I was so afraid of messing it up, because I thought it was inevitable, I broke up with her to run the other direction, because I didn't think it was going to work. I'd rather, I wanted to stop the bleeding early, is kind of how I thought. Um, and a few months after that, uh, my friend Carter on a date with somebody else, and he called me. He's like, yo, Tia's out here. What do you want me to do? I said, yo, break the date up. Yo, go mess it up. Go mess it up. <laughs> and so he, he messed it all up, and I called her like, hey, can, can you come? And then I begged her to get back with me, and it worked. We're good. But <laughs> it scared me. But the pain of what I'd been through 
had me almost willing to lose out on the most important relationship I'd ever had. And this summer, we celebrate 14 years of marriage and two beautiful kids. I didn't tell this in first service, but I will. How did God redeem the forgiveness piece? How did he, he spoke from heaven and said, go forgive before I knew him. Now I know him. And now uh, we're talking about kids and stuff. And I'm like, hey, if we have a daughter one day, I want to name her Shekinah, Shekinah Glory, the manifest presence of God. I want to name her that. And so my wife gets pregnant. My baby girl comes five minutes old. She's five minutes out the womb. I'm now face to face with my greatest joy and fear. I was afraid of failing at marriage. Now I'm afraid of failing at fatherhood. And uh, I'm living in this, I forgave my dad, but I didn't get to enjoy it. I don't know how to be a dad out there. What do I do? And my mom comes over to me and she says, do you have any idea what today is? I said, no. I said, the day your daughter is born, today, today is your father's birthday. I never knew my dad's birthday until the day my first child was born. I never celebrated it. And then seventh day, God rested, number of completion. My daughter's born on 7-7. You can't script that stuff. And then we start talking about a son like, well, if we have another kid, I always skip the verse, honor your father and mother. It was always honor your mother because I didn't know what this looked like. And my question was, if I'm living in a reconciled paradigm, a forgiven paradigm, I want to honor my dad, but he's gone. How do I do that? And I said, you know, I know, if we have a boy, let me make his middle name my dad's first name, which is Daniel, Daniel with a Z. And my wife says, cool, I'd like to name him Josiah for the first name. And I was like, no, I don't know, okay. <laughs> so we get pregnant, it really hurt. And I don't want to take credit for that. And then uh, eight months in, <laughs> yeah. uh, eight months into it, I'm like, well, let me look up what Josiah means because I'm losing this argument. She's not bending. I'm, I'm adamant about the middle name being my dad's name. She's adamant that Josiah has to be the first name. Don't know why. I looked up, read the story in 1 Kings. Cool story, bro. All that. Um, but I went home and I was like, let me look up what Josiah means in the Hebrew. Maybe God's trying to say something. In the Hebrew, Josiah literally means the Lord heals. So if you say my son's name, it's the Lord heals Zaniel Anderson. My son's name is literally God heals my dad. He was born 10 years after. There was always this question for me of like, how did he go? I was like, God, I don't know. Is my dad in hell right now? Like, what does this mean? Did you send a nurse? Did somebody get the gospel? Was he saved and that's why he reached out? I don't know. And eventually I get to Abraham and will not the judge of all the earth do right? And my peace came from there, but I didn't, I don't know. And for the Lord to send me a message through the name of my son, all I know is God wanted to forgive him more than I ever could have. Maybe I'll see him again. Maybe. I don't know. But God's dropping hints, and he keeps reminding me through my life how important forgiveness is to him and how important it has to be to me. What right do I have to not forgive somebody else? What right do I have when I overstep and do wrong? to not go repent and say, brother, sister, please forgive me. I can't if I'm living in this reconciled paradigm and I claim I know Jesus. And neither can you. I pray. I'm over my time. I'm going to wrap up. I pray that you guys find encouragement to continue to walk in this reconciled paradigm as I'm trying to. I don't get it right all the time. 
I don't want to say I'm sorry all the time. And sometimes I don't want to ask God to forgive me for stuff. But the more I look at the light of the gospel and realize what I've been forgiven for, it's not a shame thing. It's like, God, thank you for the freedom. I can just come to you and say, uh, God, forgive me my debt as I also try and work hard to forgive my debtors. It's a grace given to us. May we work hard to give it to others. Father, we're grateful for you, and we just appreciate you today. We thank you. Thank you for forgiving us our debt. And thank you that it's not a past tense. It's not a one-time thing you did that we don't have to think about anymore because lest we forget that we still need your grace. Thank you that daily we must be reminded that you're forgiving us right now for stuff happening now, for selfishness and sin that still wants to permeate our life that we're running away from right now. Thank you that your narrow road is the only path to take. And thank you that you've made it available and fixed the bridge and the chasm so we can even walk it in the first place. Help us to start from a place of we're going to forgive everybody. We're going to walk away from that. And we're going to seek you for the grace we need daily. We need it more than anybody we know. And I pray you continue to walk with us. Thank you. I love you. In Jesus' name.